Hey guys, this is your host Gooby, and welcome to the Toon Balloon Podcast, our outlet to discuss, theorize, and enjoy our favorite webtoons with the occasional anime and manga sprinkled in between. This week, we will be covering episodes 13 through 19 of the horror webtoon series, Everything is Fine by Mike Birchall. If you have not yet, go check out my last deep dive of Everything is Fine, as I will be touching on some stuff that I mentioned in that episode of the podcast. I will be sure to leave a link in the description, as well as all of the links to Mike Birchall's many social media pages and means of support. Mike Birchall has an awesome Patreon that many readers who enjoy the comic will love as well. So go check it out if you love Everything is Fine and loving supporting your creators. I will include a short summary of what has happened so far in the series, and then we will get into the deep dive. There will be spoilers, so you have been warned. Now, let's talk Everything is Fine, chapters 13 through 19. So, the story so far, starting from chapter 13, has our girl Maggie walking into Charlie's basement through the guidance of her inner thoughts posing as a faceless Charlie. Maggie learns that the aluminum foil's purpose was to create a Faraday cage, an invention meant to block electromagnetic waves. Maggie then ventures off into a grocery store in hopes of stocking up on aluminum foil which the store happens to have completely out of stock. Maggie exits the store and bumps into a woman out in the parking lot, Judy. Judy fortunately smuggles aluminum foil over to Maggie with the hopes of a favor being returned in the future. Maggie heads home with her husband Sam offering a hand at bringing the groceries into the home straight to the basement. In the shadows, the neighborhood snitch, Linda, decides she is going to get a hold of the authorities on our main couple due to their new hobby. A week passes by and here comes Officer Tom knocking on Maggie and Sam's door. Officer Tom insists on checking out the basement, so Maggie allows them to do so. As the officer and Sam enter the basement, Maggie bashes Officer Tom in the head with a hammer. After the brutal murder, Sam is seen trying to collect himself after everything and is, of course, shocked. Maggie realizes that they only have so much time before Officer Tom is realized to be missing. The two move the body out of the basement in order to ensure the ping is received and after a heart-to-heart -heart with his wife, Sam decides to help Maggie with her plans. The two develop a new strategy. Sam is to pose as Officer Tom and speak with their neighbors. Bob answers the door and as suspicious as you can get, Sam waltzes into his home and makes a complete ruckus in Bob's basement. Sam then leaves the home and then Bob answers the door again to find a frantic Maggie asking Bob if he has seen their dog Winston. They hear a thud outside and Maggie leaves in a very suspicious manner. A confused Bob then decides to alert the authorities. 
Once his call is answered, it almost seems that he was dismissed by the opposite line and ends with Bob's red eye activating. So whenever I do deep dives for Everything is Fine, I like to wait till a good few chapters are released before diving into it. Most of the time, we don't get a lot of dialogue and instead get tons of sequences that rely on atmosphere and sneaky composition. In these last few releases, we've actually gotten a lot of dialogue that has answered so many of my questions. In my last deep dive of Everything is Fine, I touched on a lot of the nods this series makes to the dystopian novel 1984. Now, I, I won't touch on this too much this time around since this story is heading into its own territory, but I did want to mention a few things I noticed after reading these chapters. Chapter 13 is called Science 101, which in the novel, Room 101 was a significant turning point in the 1984 series. Room 101 was the torture chamber that broke the main character, Winston. Also, I can't believe I did this last time. <laughs> I forgot to mention in my last episode that the biggest nod to 1984 and everything is fine is the dog's name, Winston. Winston is the name of the main character of 1984. Anyways, Winston was tortured in his room with his greatest fears and it serves as the pivotal moment in the novel that changes his character completely. This nod in regards to Science 101 had me thinking a little too heavily because it could be a fun way to name a chapter, but I'd like to think that this chapter alone was the turning point for Maggie. Once Maggie enters this room, like Faceless Charlie says, there is no turning back. Maggie has crossed a line within this society she lives in, and that is dangerous territory. Heck, after the events that happen after this chapter, it is complete chaos. We see her finally stripping this obedient agenda that she has been playing with since the beginning of the series. And to see that there is this bit of hope, it's what really ignites this fire in her. I think Science 101 and Room 101 contrast really well. One is the path to a character becoming strong and rebellious, while the other is the path to a character becoming weak and obedient. Now, with that being my last 1984 touch, let's get into some of the other elements within this story. First things first, the Faraday cage. Now, the textbook that Maggie was reading pretty much gave the best explanation for the purpose of this cage. It is meant to block electromagnetic waves. And like I mentioned back in my last episode, it is a little reminiscent to conspiracy theorists back in, like, I guess, like the stereotypical conspiracy theorists wearing tinfoil hats so the government doesn't read their minds. In a sense, this really does work. The textbook has a note that says to leave no gaps. So you are going to need a lot of foil in order to ensure, like, there is no chance of interference, which by the looks of it, if you are going to cover an entire basement with foil, then you of course need a lot of it. <laughs> I can see why Charlie had carts full of this stuff and Maggie to do so later. My only suspicion when it comes to these Faraday cages is the fact that 
it could be very temporary. Reasons being, one, the government is becoming aware of this. You can tell by the grocery workers' hesitation to tell Maggie if they still had foil back in episode 14, Supply Chain, that someone higher up is already working to limit this resource. I worry that this government will adapt and find a way to reduce these happenings once again. I also did a bit of research into the Faraday cage. And one of the things about this invention is that although it can block electromagnetic waves, it has been shown to be weaker against higher powered frequencies, such as HF RFID. If the government is already aware of some of the measures citizens are taking to combat the waves, like the use of aluminum foil, they could potentially change their methods at control and it could be disastrous. My only hope is that Maggie can take matters into her own hands and outsmart the system because it seems that a lot of people are becoming aware of aluminum foil. Now, the Faraday cage does work for what it is being used against them now. And in chapter 17, since last accident, and chapter 18, funny how, we get a demonstration of its effectiveness. Maggie is able to talk freely with Sam and the two put a lot of importance on them being able to hear their real voices. This is something that I was not aware of and isn't something that readers wouldn't know unless told. But the fact that even their voice own voices are masked is so sad. After noticing some of their dialogue together, I wanted to point out something I think I did get right in the last deep dive. That this whole new forever is actually fresh. Sam points out that the last time he has heard Maggie's voice is, and I quote, three years, one month, and 15 days. So, I guess we can pinpoint that this whole cat mask thing started almost three years ago. I also noticed that with the illustration that Maggie found in chapter 13, Science 101, that it was drawn by Charlie's daughter, Charlotte. And it shows the family drawn without cat heads. It also shows an angel in the clouds, which I think is Charlie's wife. I already suspected this, but considering that we did get some more nods to this theory of mine was really helpful. I wonder if we will get a big flashback to how this all happened in the first place. I feel like that would be a ways ahead, but the little hints to how it all started is so fascinating. And can I just say that I adore Maggie and Sam's relationship. Maggie is a queen and we know it, but I feel like Sam needs some more credit after this. Like he memorized and counted the days since he last heard her voice. That is the sweetest thing I've heard yet in this solemn comic. We also get to hear their engagement story and it was just so sweet to read such touching moments between the two of them. Like most of the time, it feels staged since they have to plan an act in their world. But in these last few chapters, it's so genuine. I hate what this government has done to this couple because I feel like these two are so affectionate and loving towards each other. And the fact that this love has held on for this long is really telling of their love and passion for one another. It's nice to see that Sam didn't turn Maggie into the authorities, because I know I was scared of him doing that. <laughs> and I think it's adorable 
that he just willfully follows her lead. Like when she brought the foil home, he didn't even question it and was like, sure, honey, whatever you need. Or when she did kill Officer Tom, he of course was shocked. But after that heart to heart, he was all in. I know Sam seemed a bit more obedient than Maggie towards the government, and this is even touched on after the murder. Sam mentions that he worked so hard to hopefully get their daughter back. But Maggie insists that there is no promise to getting her back, and essentially, he was blindly following on false hope. Instead of being a Linda, Sam actually helps Maggie and pretty much becomes her partner in crime. And I absolutely love that. Before we go on a short break, I wanted to also talk about Judy, the aluminum foil dealer. So right off the bat, we are given a glimpse of this woman back in chapter two, swings and roundabouts. Now we could just say it was someone else and they both have similar fashion sense, but I feel like that acknowledgement of her appearance was far too important to not be the same person. Judy happens to be aware of the use of foil and is seen stockpiling it for others who know of its uses. I know her mentioning to Maggie that with giving her the foil, she hopes that she will return the favor. I know this is suspicious just because of the wording, but I would think that the two of them have similar goals. So perhaps the favor in the future could benefit the both of them. I also wanted to nod at the fact that since she has been stocking up on foil, it's because she is aware the government is cracking down on it. So she instead took matters into her own hands and snatched it all before they could. Judy also spoke to Maggie in cooking rhetoric. So essentially asking if she was going to cook a turkey as a way to communicate in code. This was smart on Judy's part because essentially the women in the series are all supposed to play the housewife role. She mentions the size of said turkey as well as having to carve the turkey. And could this hint at the attack on Officer Tom or something more? Since she asked for a favor, I wonder what it is it could be. Could she possibly need Maggie to help her on an attempt to rebel against the government? Or is Judy actually posing as a friend in order for the government to get to Maggie? She could be playing for the enemy. I guess we'll just have to see since I'm quite curious myself. <laughs> in the next segment, we will be talking about that juicy murder, Linda, oh Linda, and some theories. So the first thing that came to my mind in chapter 16, Animals Are Free, was when Maggie is about to sling that hammer into Officer Tom's head. The song Murder Train from the show How I Met Your Mother. 
that little tune plays for like any fight that happens in that show and it was just going off in my head. So <laughs> uh, next time you read that scene, just play Murder Train and just vibe. <laughs> I know once Maggie bashed his skull, an alarming number of questions rang in my head. One question of mine that actually one of my followers shared on Instagram with me from Snufflebuns9 said, the green goo in Officer Tom's mask. I think a lot of people notice this weird goop coming out of the mask at the end of the chapter. And here are my observations. When you look at the shots of Tom's head, you notice as well that his brain is essentially exposed, almost similar to, I cannot believe I'm gonna say this, Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff Girls, because you know how his brain is expanding outside of his skull and is due to like the chemical X. <laughs> A weird reference, but just, just hear me out. I'm speculating that their heads are actually fusing and growing into the cat masks. It explains a lot why they can't take them off and why the government can so easily manipulate them and starve them, essentially. The green goo could possibly be sort of like a fluid the government injects into the citizens in order to have the brains grow and manifest into such an enormous size like a strange ooze, or like a chemical X. Here goes my Powerpuff Girl reference. And you know when Mojo Jojo got slammed with the chemical X and then his brain just increased in size? I feel like that's like what the purpose of the green goo is. It might be something that is changing the body, mutating it. It's unclear what it could possibly be, but I'd suspect that it is used for sustainability purposes, since all of the people in this world seem to be relatively human. This green goo could be something that mutates the body for the government's gain. Um, it's gross, that's for sure. And I wonder if the people in this story are aware of what their heads look like, since Maggie seemed to be unfazed by the appearance of Tom's head and the fact that their brains are growing into the masks is terrifying. <laughs> and we know that when the red eye activates, it often activates when a character is acting out of line, such as when they are acting out of character or doing something suspicious or when they're sad and not happy. Uh, their emotions are tied to the surveillance. So perhaps the brains growing into the mask serve a purpose for the government to have direct access to their brains. You know how our brains have several areas that focus on different functions for the body and mind. The government could be using that direct access to the parts of the brain that manages emotions and thoughts as a way to control the citizens. So my question to you guys, what do you think the green goo is? Why do you suppose their brains are of that size? When Charlie was seen and put into red status, we never got the aftermath of what happened to him, so there is no clear picture of where he is or if he is dead. I do suspect that he could be in a similar situation as the homeless person who ate Winston back in chapter three. 
but red status could also indicate characters having their brains attacked or something more severe. The only thing that I am sure of is that the government's doing of the control, it is demented and absolutely horrific, which I mean, this is a horror comic, so <laughs> it's gotta be scary. It is also fair to say that when Maggie proceeded to slam that hammer down, she announced to Officer Tom that their names were Charlie and Charlotte. Emphasis on the were. So what could this indicate? Death or something far more sinister? Officer Tom also proclaims that he has something or someone who is special to him but this doesn't change the outcome in the end for him. Officer Tom essentially lost his humanity after gaining some form of power in this horribly controlled society. That little ounce of power in a setting that leaves everyone feeling helpless could make anyone go wacky. Not defending the actions of Officer Tom because Officer Tom sucks, but I can see how this could have twisted him. This goes for Linda as well. As much as I hate the woman, I can see how being in such a cruel environment can twist the mind. There is that little bit of power and control that Linda gets out of snitching on others that winds up making her not only an obedient citizen, but also one who is losing her humanity. Those God complexes surface and ultimately only do things to cater to their own needs and desires. Now, to touch on the electromagnetic waves, again, they are seen to be used for pinging people and continuing surveillance. So I'd assume there must be tracking devices hidden within, and this is why Maggie and Sam had to ensure that Tom could still be located. Maggie cooks up a plan to have Sam impersonate Officer Tom. We then see that panel with Bob answering the door to a mustached Sam. Now, I actually had someone suggest that I touch on this within the discussion, and that person happens to be at Mike B Comics, the creator of Everything is Fine, and his suggestion was touch on that sweet, sweet mustache. Which is funny, but also that I was pleased to see that the mustache was removable. Do all the officers have mustaches or just Tom? I also wonder if they were allowed to customize their masks. And I don't mean this just by the officers, but like everyone in general, because everyone kind of has like a designated color. I have no idea. Here I am studying the mysterious mustache. Oh, well. <laughs> So, considering the fact that everyone in this society is supposed to put up an act that everything is fine, you'd think they would do a better job at not acting suspicious, like Sam and Maggie both are really bad at being inconspicuous. The whole time Sam is posing as the officer, he just comes across as loony. <laughs> the way he enters the basement in Bob's home causes a ruckus then proceeds to walk out, raised so many red flags. Like the dude was trying so hard to get caught, I guess. And I'm trying to pinpoint 
what on earth he was doing down there, but I'm quite clueless. I think the only thing that could have helped me make any deductions is when Maggie is frantically distracting Bob after Sam left. For one, she mentions Winston, which Bob is aware something had happened to him, so that raises some suspicions from Bob. And then you hear this thud in the background and Maggie just dips from the conversation. My, my guesses are that maybe they hid Officer Tom's body in Bob's home or backyard, but then wouldn't the surveillance cameras have seen that? And I don't know how Sam found an opening to hide the body within the home because, I mean, unless there's like another opening to the basement, I'm not really sure. All of these houses are built the same, like identical. So when we look at the basement and all the other homes, they don't have like a second entrance. It's just the one. So I, I, I don't know what the heck he was doing over there. I did suspect that since Maggie now has access to Tom's phone, that she might actually be able to control things like the surveillance cameras in the neighborhood. Here's what I mean. That phone of his has a lot of access to everything around him. It offers a visual of all the individuals in the neighborhood, and I'm speculating that the cameras could be manipulated through the phone as well. So maybe Maggie and Sam were able to divert the cameras so it doesn't notice what they were doing outside. I know that the police car is still parked outside. So there is a lot that Sam and Maggie are going to have to do in order to avoid suspicions. So I am really curious to see what they have planned. What do you think that loud thud was? What was Sam doing in Bob's basement? The very last panel in chapter 19 was very interesting because when Bob suspects something is up, he decides to call the authorities on Maggie and Sam. As he is on the call, it seems as if he was dismissed by whoever answered it. And then we see his red eye activate. Bob is then saying, oh, never mind. I see. It's okay. And that's how that chapter ends. So I'm thinking that since Maggie has access to the officer's phone, she could have been the one that activated the red light. Because you know, that phone was what controlled Charlie's cat mask. And so I can only assume that it is what causes all the red light activation. I don't know. I feel like this theory of mine could only make sense if she was the one who answered the phone. If you think about it, masking her voice really isn't necessary since everyone's voice is already altered, so I'd suspect that he couldn't identify the other person on the line. I also speculate that the person on the other line could have informed Bob that they already sent out the police in his area and were suggesting he not call when they were already on the case. It could be that they are coming across suspicious themselves, Bob and Linda, since it could insinuate that tattling on everyone in the neighborhood could suggest that you are hiding something yourself. It almost comes across as a means to divert attention from you. Uh, I was curious to see the red light activate because I feel like it could mean several things. I feel that either the eye is an instant of surveillance or a visual of their loved ones held captive from them.
I had questioned if Bob and Linda even had such a person in my last episode since Linda seems to be forgetting what her purpose is for when she started snitching on everybody. So once Bob was shown with the red eye, I was intrigued to see that there is someone he is hoping to get back. I wonder how this is going to go down. Before I head off and start ending this episode, I wanted to tell you guys some theories and questions I have after reading Lee's last few chapters. First up, how did Maggie already know about the pings? When Maggie is seen going through Tom's phone in episode 17, she seems to know quite easily what to navigate for. This could be just a hunch of hers, since she probably deducted that his phone could do such a thing after Charlie's incident, but I was quite curious. I also had a question about the week that Maggie had to complete her Faraday cage. Could she have been in her basement the entire week, or do you think she may have met up with Judy once more? I could be wrong on this, but I feel like Maggie is hiding a bit more under her sleeve than she is putting on. And why does the picture in chapter 15 have so much significance? It is a picture of a mountain with a large red ominous swirl in the background. Maggie even mentions that it looks familiar. I've noticed that art has lots of significance throughout the series. We always seem to get panels dedicated to showing pictures in people's homes, like the painting that acted as a peeping hole for Linda, or the painting of flowers that Maggie has in her own home in chapter 10. I just wonder why Maggie found the painting familiar. Could it be alluding to their home or something more? What do you suppose the distraction for was for in episode 19? It could be anything at this point. They could be hiding the body. Heck, it could just be Sam tripping on his way back home. Who knows? <laughs> and why do you suppose, or who do you suppose, is Bob and Linda's loved ones? By the looks of it, they have one, at least. The other characters in the story have shown to be parents and that their children are taken away as a way to manipulate and control the citizens. Just as a speculation. But Sam, and I'm assuming Bob and Linda, have this assumption that the government will return their kids if they are shown to be loyal and well-behaved. Maggie mentions to Sam that they never were explicitly told that they would get their kids back. It is an assumption and a false hope that Sam had created because they just have to get their kids back. What was all this for? Considering that it has been three years and still no kids have returned, I think it could mean that you probably aren't getting them back since it's what's keeping you bound to the government's control. I know they are trying their best, but at what point would they think the government was going to give them their kids back? I'd assume three years of mindlessly working and obeying their rules would signal that you and everyone else are abiding by their control. But in no way have they seen changes, and it's just a method to change them and break their will. Now, those are all of the theories and questions I wanted to dish out today. I am so thankful for my followers at Snufflebuns9 and at Mike B Comics for offering some topic suggestions for this week's episode. I have had an absolute blast deducing and analyzing this webtoon with all of you, and I am so excited to read more of Everything is Fine. 
if you guys ever want to suggest topics to me next time before I ever release another episode, keep an eye out on my Instagram stories and my Twitter because I usually give everyone opportunities to suggest topics and suggestions. So keep an eye out because it might not just be for Everything is Fine. It could be for other webtoons as well or even anime. <laughs> I have had a busy week or more so a busy month and I am so, so thankful for all of your patience with me when uploading episodes. Sometimes life happens and I have to delay recording. So your sincere understanding is so helpful. If you liked what you heard today and have your own thoughts or opinions and you would like to share with me, then you can do so by messaging me through either of my social media handles, both my Instagram and Twitter handles are at the Toon Balloon. I would love to hear from you. Also, definitely tell me any other webtoons, anime, or manga you are interested in. I may talk about them in future episodes. The Toon Balloon podcast can be listened to on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Now, let's end this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time to listen to my humble podcast. I look forward to talking with you again. This is the Toon Balloon Podcast. I was your host, Gooby. See you next time.